Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Um, oh, it still thrills me uh, an unbelievable amount to to know that this happened. Um, and I'm so glad to finally share um, episode three. We are here with Joe Black Meets and I am joined by the legendary Dawn French. Um, when Dawn said yes to this, uh, I couldn't believe it. I thought something was going to get in the way and make it not happen. And it happened. And here it is. Uh, just some notes on this one. This one was done over Zoom. Uh, so we have a little different sort of audio for, for Dawn as it's taken from that. So, um, But I'm sure that can be excused. You know why? Because it's Dawn bloody French. That's why. Um, and again, at the time of recording this, uh, there are no adverts, so if you would like to support me in some way, I'm touring with my show Club Cataclysm uh, this autumn. That is uh, October and November 2022 across the UK and Ireland. You can buy a t-shirt if you'd like. Um, be sure to leave uh, a lovely five-star review on the Spotify and the Apple and all of that things and lovely reviews, and it just helps the podcast grow. Anyway, I shall not keep you any longer. Please... Enjoy my lovely chat with the bloody lovely Dawn French. Well, hello, Dawn French. Hello. I'm here talking to you. And I'm here talking to you. And what a deli- like, this is, what day is it? It's Thursday. It's, it's Thursday. A Thursday in June. I don't know exactly what date this is coming out, but it's no longer the it's lovely Thursday in June. No. Is it, it is another day, another dawn. Another day. dawn, yeah. That's um, me. You know, it, how, how often have I put up with all the dawn jokes as a kid? You know, crack of dawn, um, mist around dawn, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
endless dawn jokes and endless French jokes. Froggy French, you know, or everyone has their nicknames, don't they? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry to add to the pie. No, 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 no. It's, it's welcome. <laughs> it makes me feel... Actually, weirdly, I, what I did go through my childhood with was a very different nickname because we went to live in Cyprus for a few years when I was a kid. And so I, I, I my name, Dawn, the Rising of the Sun, was used in the Cypriot but, you know, by people that were around us and stuff, my mum's colleagues and stuff. So I was called Haravyi, which apparently in Greek Cypriot means the rising of the sun. So, in, and also in Greek Cypriot, if you add on the end of a name, mu, just mu very quickly, I think it's M-O-U, um, that just means dear, darling. It's just a way of saying sweetheart. And so I was called Haravyi Mu by my own family, which got shortened, of course, to Mu. And actually, my family know me as Moo French. I'm Moo. And all my schoolmates know me as Moo. And in fact, at one point, I even went in the school register as Moo French. How, how many identities do you have? You'd be a <laughs> fantastic criminal. <laughs> I'd be a good spy, except for I can't stop talking. So I wouldn't be a good spy because I have to tell everybody everything. Well, that would, you know, but then, you know, what you said wouldn't necessarily be the trick. You could trick people. Uh, That's true. That's I, I, true. I don't know what you're, how you're lying is. But... I, I don't think I've got enough guile, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, and I've also got too much to say that is the actual truth and too much to hear that I want to hear. I'm too nosy about people's actual truth of their actual lives. So I don't think I'd be very good at being slippery or, 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 or clever. See, I'm I'm very nosy as well, which is which is exactly how this this thing happened. It's just it wasn't. There's no there's no big grand point. I was just like, Do you know what? I'm going to talk to people that I think are brilliant about that. I think they're brilliant. So essentially, it's just me going. So you're quite good. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you've got such good taste, and that oh. I'm in such good company. That is fantastic. Uh, Absolutely fantastic taste. You know, the guest list is phenomenal. What a pleasure to have you. Um, Evan, how are you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thank you. I'm in a kind of weird transitional part of uh, this year. I mean, like all of us, coming out of the horrible pandemic and retrieving our live work has been, is very busy. And so it means lots of stuff that was supposed to have happened for 18 months that didn't happen is now happening. Um, so trying to plot a tour. And in the old days, of course, you do a tour that went up one side of the country nicely and down the other side of the country. So you weren't driving all over the place. But because everybody's out looking for the same venues on tour, you know, I'm sort of doing Hull to Bournemouth to uh, back up to Scotland. You know, it's bloody mad. Um, but this is not happening until September. But I've got to write it. Apparently, ah, was it was so? Was this one meant to be in the before times? Uh, yes, it was planned for the before times. Uh, although we didn't have it actually in, but I knew that I had to get on with writing it, it or thinking about it. So, uh, in a way, I've got no excuse for having not written it <laughs> because I've had plenty of time. But I was doing lots of other stuff as well. It was a good time, wasn't it, to write a book? And I owed a book to Penguin, and it was time to write another novel. So I, that's what I did. I calmed down and wrote that book. So I didn't write this tour. So now I'm slightly, how, how am I going to get it all done in time? Well, it, 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 I, I keep hearing this, that the kind of pandemic, there were things that were supposed to happen that actually the, the, the time buying worked in their favour. Like when I was talking to Joe Lysett, they were saying that um, 
their management had said, right, we think it's time you do Wembley. And then and then Joe sort of had a, a sort of freak out about it. And then they had done so much stuff from when the management had suggested it. And they said, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that too big. And then made work that they were so proud of in the interim that now they have a show that they ah. are happy to do at Wembley. And now they're doing two nights at Wembley. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how it kind of buys buys more time. Your your show, by the way, the one you're touring, is, is Dawn French is a huge twat. Correct. Is That's that correct. one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> any particular inspiration well, for well, the name? Well, here's the thing. I went out on tour a few years back with a show about my life, essentially, called 30 Million Minutes, which was how long I'd been alive at that point. And that was about, you know, family, life and all the trials and tribulations, all the decisions, all the things I didn't have an answer to. What is this all about? What's that all about? And it was me kind of opening up because I've had people write books about me and stuff like that. I wanted to go out and do a tour that was me telling my truth about all the things that have happened in my life. And of course, when you tell the truth about stuff in your life, about divorce and infertility and um, you know, but problems and de- parents dying and suicide, which has happened in my life, sadly, with my dad. You know, when you're open and honest about these things, of course, you relate to people in your audience. Everybody's had a shitty stuff. Everyone's had difficult stuff. Everybody. So that was what that tour was about. That was very personal. Um, and what I didn't do really was touch on any career stuff, because in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's out there. That's what everybody knows mm-hmm. anybody. Anyway, you know, it's, it's it's there for everyone to see. Surely that's a bit dull. And I didn't want to tell kind of lovey stories about how, how interesting it was to have this particular prop in a particular <laughs> play. You know, I just didn't want to be up my own butt with that. But I've got a very good friend um, in uh, Australia, Julie Morris, who's a, who's a stand-up. And when I was there, she said to me, you're missing a trick here. She said, you, you need to do the opposite of this tour as your next tour, which is stories about your career, but like behind the scenes. And I started to think about that and thought, yeah, actually, that's right. Instead of just, oh, I was in Harry Potter and this was the part I played. What about all the mistakes I made um, at the in- interview for it, at the audition, when I turned up on the set? What about the fitting and the stupid things I said to people? And I, it seems that I am a person who has been a massive twat about quite a lot of things in my life. I've got things wrong. I've misunderstood things. I've misheard things. I've uh, clumped around insensitively on all kinds of stuff. And I've, I've made lots of mistakes. But those mistakes are the glorious moments where we're all wankers. We are all we are wankers. Absolutely every single one of us is a wanker. We and are I think, wankers. You know, and I love ev- other wankers. And I'm proud <laughs> of, of life being about being Instagram perfect and everything being perfect. And here's my perfect life. And here's my perfect dog. And here's my perfect everything. It's, that isn't it. That isn't real life. That isn't how I connect to anyone. I feel a disconnect from perfect people. I, I like wankers. And I like us all to <laughs> own up to those moments. So rather frighteningly once I started to think of the moments where I have been a surprisingly um uh, adept twat uh, <laughs> <laughs> I realized there were many of them far too many of them and so so it's easy comedy. to tell the stories 
Yeah, I mean, British comedy is full of, uh, you know, not that I'm calling everyone a twat in, in, in a derogatory way, but in the way you've said that yeah. uh, I think British comedy breeds a certain kind of delicious twat, really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. And you're, you're in great company. I mean, that must is that strange when you're doing sort of more, um, I don't want to stay, say straight acting things, but with with not other British comedians. Yeah. Is that, how is that dynamic? You mean when I do it for TV? I mean, something like, say, Death on the Nile, for Oh, instance. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you oh, mean, God, very serious was, actors all around you. That was very frightening, really. I mean, it was delicious in one way because it was a great big dollop of an American, super-sized, big-budget film. You know, Jennifer and I don't do things like this. We, uh, we just don't. We don't get asked to do stuff like that. So you think, oh, God, this is amazing. Plus, it's Ken Branagh, who we know a little bit who is a delight, very naughty, quite cheeky. Um, you know, that that's the Ken that we know. But, of course, he's gone on to become this kind of big grown-up director um, <laughs> and actor, you know, but we sort of know the, 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 the junior Ken from years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say all credit to Ken for casting us because if you're going to put Jennifer and I together in a film like that, you know, the first thought most people are going to have is what are they taking the piss out of? You know, when mm-hmm. are they going to make do the parody of this? Mm-hmm. And indeed, that was a temptation. And that's what we were doing quite a lot of the time <laughs> offset. You know, when the cameras yeah. weren't running, we're like wondering about thinking, well, look at these giant sets. Wouldn't it be great to have this as a set for a sketch? This would be perfect. And of course, when we're together, we're, we're always having lots of fun. We're sniggering around and, you know, finding the absurd in everything. But but when it comes to it, you know, there are producers and there's Ken to please. And it's shot on big um 64 mil or whatever it is i can't remember but like you know those big old-fashioned magazines on the camera like he shoots it like the big big rolls the big hollywood old and sunset boulevard days that's (laughs) what it look that's what it looks like you know and you've got a camera right next to your face and you've got ken Branner right next to the camera watching you very carefully so you better know your effing lines you better turn up having done the work on the character and you better hand it in so there is a there is definitely a pressure on something like that but I don't mind that I'm up for learning something new at all times of course what I've got is a sense of the absurd going on as a kind of second narrative in my head at all times I'm always thinking this is ridiculous. Um, and I'm always finding the funny in any situation, but I have to put reins on. It's literally like someone's got a halter on me. That <laughs> rains, rain, rains, rain it in, Dawn. You know, this is not the moment. It's about being appropriate, isn't it, really? And that was like you were saying that uh, that with that casting when I because the trailer came out and then sort of everyone it's one of those the sort of reveals of each each cast member and then you you two appeared I was like oh because it was in the original it was was Angela Lansbury and Betty Davis wasn't it well no it was Betty Davis yeah. and um, and Maggie Smith Maggie Smith why did I think Angela no, no because I, I think Angela Lansbury's also in a um, she's in an Agatha Christie whether it's that one I can't remember I think she might have been in the same film but playing a different character. Ah, for some reason, I, I had it that that character was... Uh, you're was not far out, movie. actually, because I think also Ken Branagh and the writer on that um, slightly conflated some of the parts 
to just make it simpler and also to bring some diversity into the film and to make it a film worth making in this day and age, frankly. I, I like we, we, we said the uh, to simplify it's these Agatha Christie ones are very, very complicated. They are. They are. Because I mean, the like, first oh, one that you, he did you. was the um, Murder on the Orient Express. And of all the Agatha Christie's, that one, I remember the plot of that because it's so big. You know, mm. it's it's not who did it. It's they all did it. I'm oh, sorry if that's a spoiler for anyone who's seen it. <laughs> I, think, I think it's been out a while now, not just it the has. film, but as Many as a property. But Death on the Nile, I had to, and I have seen it, but I had to try and remember, oh God, actually, how does it work? And even when we were making it, I thought, this is good. It kind of peels that way. Then it goes this way. Then it goes that way. But what a hot cast as well. Bloody oh, hell. Oh. Yeah, it was, yeah, we, uh, we watched it. Uh, recently and then we watched straight after we watched Murder on the Orient Express even though we'd seen that one before but we'd sort of got into the Agatha Christie mood and we were like oh this is delicious yeah and it's it also so, it looks so good lush so lush and uh, very slick and the boys are just they're just so handsome in all that gear <laughs> they, they really are it was a delight and to be with Russell Brand who's a mate you know and uh, to be picked up every morning in a van very early with Jennifer and just gossip all the way in and spend most of the time oh. e- eating the sandwiches, you know, <laughs> it's all good fun. I'm now imagining them just sort of bundling you into a sack and going, get in the van, we're doing Agatha, <laughs> get in the van, we're doing Ag- Agatha Christie. Uh, what you were saying that with the cast being delicious, you've had some very, um, you, you've worked with and sort of been interviewed alongside some really ridiculous people. I was I was looking up just, you know, in advance of this, right, let's watch watch some, some clips and things, do a refresher. Uh, you know, you, you sang Believe in front of Cher. That was quite fun. Um, what a cheek. Yes, I did. Yeah, and but my it, it wasn't so much the singing that I did. It was the fact that you went, now you! And just <laughs> gave Cher the microphone. Was that on Graham? And that was on Graham, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Cher, of all people, is a French and Saunders fan. And she has been to see our shows a couple of times. It just kind of turns up in the dressing room, very cash. Uh, You know, you have a conversation about (laughs) her belt and, you know, what she's up to and whether you should go on holiday to Mexico or not. You know, she's like, she's just very cool chick. Very cool. And she's always been an FNS fan. And so... Taking the piss out of her is like, you know, it's going to be received with open arms and you know she's going yeah, to be cool. She's used to all of the drag versions. Yeah, she is. Of herself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she tells stories, I... doesn't she, about people giving, saying to her, give me your car because you are the best one I've seen. Meaning that she's, <laughs> she's the best impersonator that people see. Isn't, isn't there a story about Dolly Parton coming like second in a Dolly Parton lookalike? <laughs> I bet, I bet. Jennifer's work like, with Dolly. For some reason, I went out for dinner with Dolly in LA. You know, there are these moments. Jennifer does things like, I think it's because of Ab Fab. She did a little part in Friends and she did a little part in Roseanne. So she's had these kind of weird moments where she's been over in these giant sitcoms, you know, and, and, and as a result of it, you know, gone out for supper with various luminaries. It's, it's all the stuff of great gossip when, when she gets home, really. Yeah, well, I, love, I mean, with that, like we're saying about the sort of British comedians being a, a, a sort of 
certain type of delicious twat. When you, you put it next, I just, it's, it's the chat show thing when I see so, like sort of you sat next to Cher. It's like two worlds, some sort of <laughs> Avengers situation happening where all these different franchises of entertainment are just, the other way, it's like John Waters next to Justin Bieber always got me on Oh Graham my God, well. yes. Because well, what this a strange is, This is the duo. nature of a chat show, isn't it? Yeah. You, you are on a bonquette with somebody you, <laughs> you know, you've admired or you haven't. Um, or you've got no idea who they are. I've got to do a bit of homework to find out, you know, you, whatever it is. And and you have got to make something happen. You will have your own moment to talk to Graham about your thing, but then it's only polite, isn't it, to kind of also join in with everybody else's stories. And there are some stories the researcher will say to you beforehand, have you got any stories about dogs? Because so-and-so's got a funny dog story. So could you <laughs> could you come on the back of that? Have you got one? You know, so before you know, you're kind of joining with these people. And, and my temptation, and I'm not going to do it anymore because I'm too old for it now. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's unseemly. But my temptation is, if there are delicious boys on there, I'm going to find a way to have a snog. One oh, way yes, or the there's, other. There's, there's, there's been a few. <laughs> there's I, been a I, few. I and I'm <laughs> desperate this is massive twat behavior i'm desperate to make sure that i have the moment so i so i even will forego the reason that i'm on that show to talk about whatever i'm on there for to uh, to get the kiss somehow so i will lay it in at the beginning of the <laughs> interview i'll plant work the seeds, on it a plant bit the during the, exactly it takes so much work it's so idiotic but anyway, there was anyway. Um, on the uh, no. That is 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 again. This is why people again. It's a very British thing. You're not going to get a you know a very clean cut Hollywood Hollywood actor sort of playing the clown and 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 sort of tickling that situation. I love it. But on the subject of of meeting people, when you so you came to see the uh, Drag Race show in Plymouth, I did. Um, which of course, was a, I which did. Was a, that was such a lovely day for us. So we were all, because it was coming towards the end of the first leg of the tour and everyone was like, oh, I'm yeah. so tired. And yeah. suddenly they're like, Dawn French is in catering. <laughs> and then and then a few days after we got a text saying, Graham and Lulu in dressing room one. So it was like a few days of like lovely people visiting us, which good, was delicious. You, um, well, I you know, and how... let me tell you that, I, that, of course, the person I brought with me was my husband. Um, Nigel. Nigel. And, you know, Nigel and I have been going to see drag in Plymouth and in London since we were young teenagers together. I mean, that this is something we've done for years and years, and we have watched some of the most appalling drag. Uh, and somehow that's almost my favourite. Some of the, mm -hmm. at the back of the pub, somebody with just a dress um, and, a, and a couple <laughs> of, you know, eye flicks. Um, miming to I don't know Dolly or whatever uh, that that has been some of my favourite moments in my life with my husband and so as drag has you know has it stepped forward and become received and uh, gone a bit more mainstream and been accepted and revered you know for us this is like a complete treat so to go together in Plymouth to see tip top drag like that. But you know, it was like a, almost like a full circle, like a full circle. It was wonderful. And you and you and Nigel will continue going. To the people will find you at the back of the pubs. Always sat there always. enjoying. I love. I guess in a way that that um, I will get back to my original point in a second. But just before I forget, that kind of you know the the sort of possibly you know fifteen gins deep acts doing the Dolly Parton. Uh, that 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 it's 
it's an inspiration for character, I think. As oh, well, yeah. I mean, I was I'm gonna ask later about the the where if there's like a route to a character, but before we get to that in terms of working with a meeting sort of big names, you mentioned at the Plymouth show, and I think it came up because we were going to be at the Palladium and Ginny said, you know, oh, I'm going to try and get Madonna's dressing room. And you said that every, the beginning of every season uh, for French and Saunders, you'd ask Madonna. Yeah. And then was it a, a no or you got no response? Well, you know, Madonna is our age <clears throat> and she's the same, you know, we kind of all, came up together, although she, obviously she just, you know, spiralled into this huge megastar. And we've never, I've met her once and Jennifer has met her once, it, latterly. But all the way through, we thought she belongs on our show somehow. You know, in our fantasy, she was she would be our regular guest who'd bob <laughs> into the odd sketch. This was our fantasy. And every time we sat down to write a series of French and Saunders, we wrote her into a sketch somewhere, even if it was just to come in the door and give us a slap and go out. You know, we, we would always write her in. And it became a sort of talisman, like a lucky thing to have written her in. And then we would go through this <laughs> procedure every single series of trying to get in touch with somebody who knew somebody who knew her or, you know, her management who immediately would slap us away, but trying to get through the back door <laughs> to her PA or whatever. So we would get a bit closer, a bit closer. Could she come? Is she at all in England during that time? We can come to her, you know, like desperately groveling. Um, and we would get a very polite no every single time. We got quite close one time when she was making um, uh, um, a Vita in London or you know, somewhere near London. And we were trying to get her then. And we got a bit close then, but then eventually she sent us a, a message which was um, just sorry ladies I, I just can't fit it into the schedule so in a way it became just the tradition we will write her in we will ask her she will reject us and on we go it was, it was yeah. like that I like that it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good sort of uh, ritual to have but then th- what you said at the the show was that when you did meet her she said we've met before and was sort of pointing at you and you yeah. were going, no, no, we, we've we've not met. And she kept insisting and you would sort of politely trying to explain, I would certainly remember if we'd met yes. Madonna. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, the weird thing is when somebody's fairly potent like she is and she doesn't take any nonsense. And I also realised that if she if she ever had had a peek at any French and Saunders, of course, if you don't turn up, if we invite you and you don't turn up, then we're going to have a bit of fun at your, <laughs> your expense. You know, so she became a little bit of a catchphrase, you know, going, Madonna, Madonna. And we would always be talking to her and stuff, you know, always with greatest of love, you know, done with the best of intents, no cruelty. But but she became a bit of a running joke for us. And I suddenly thought, oh, maybe she has seen that and she might not like us very much. But when you meet her and she says to you, I've met you before, and you think, mm, no, you haven't. I, I, as you say, <laughs> I, I would remember that. And I said to her, no, I think I'd remember that. If I met you, she went, no, I have. And I went, mm, no, you haven't. And then you think, yeah. this is some <laughs> kind of standoff we're having now. I know the truth is that we haven't. But you are Madonna. And you're telling me you, that we have. You're almost tempted to believe that I just you concede, have. And just go. Just concede. Just, just bow down and go, okay. Just make up have. the wildest 
the wildest situation you could go, oh, oh, it was in Morocco. And it was <laughs> na- 1974. Uh, I was <sighs> surrounded by piles of grapes. <laughs> I, I, it, it could be any any situation. Um, just something you mentioned there I wanted to ask is, is that you thought maybe she'd seen it and, and been um, unhappy being a little bit of a... Is there anyone that's that's ever come and gone, well, I wasn't very happy with that impression of uh, Well, me. I think the people who aren't very happy don't come and say something. They just sort of slither away and they let it be known to other people. Like I, I felt so guilty. I did... Um, a uh, piss take of um, Sonia. Do you remember Sonia? Lovely Sonia. Oh, Eurovision? Uh, no. It, well, Sonia, did she, uh, she might well have sung at Eurovision. But I feel like I've done a pride with her. She, she, she was a pop star, big pop star in the 80s. Mm. And I, and I loved her. But of course, she's like little ginger kind of scouser. <clears throat> very easy to, for me to be. And we were doing everybody, you know. Not very well, but we're putting a wig on and look, <laughs> trying to be a bit like somebody. And she was perfect to me. But then I heard things like I, I was invited to go on breakfast telly for something. Uh, this was fairly soon after. And I heard that she was going to be on. I thought, oh, great. Good. I can meet her at last. And then I heard she backed out. Um, and I thought, oh, she's avoiding me. Oh, no. Oh, I don't want her to feel like I'm some kind of big bully. I'd, I, I would hate to think that anything we did you know, upset anyone. And I, Jennifer well, no, once did a brilliant... None of it's mean. No, none of it's mean. But you never know what somebody can take offence with. And sometimes if you if you nail somebody, they perhaps didn't even know that was the thing about them. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm. it's like if anyone does a good impression, we're not impressionists, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're no good at that, but we're, but we're good at having a bit of fun around the edge. Don't claim to be impressionists. Don't claim to be accurate in any way. But Jennifer once was extremely accurate when she did, um, we did a silent witness piss take and Jennifer was Amanda Burton, which was back in the days, you know, before uh, Amelia Fox did it. And there was just something about the way Jen did it, just the way she looked a lot and took big deep breaths and did lots of looking off and thinking. And then and quite a bad Northern Irish accent, which Jennifer was doing. And Amanda Burton, I mean, I've been at things where she's there and she just will not talk to me. She just, (laughs) I think, oh, no, you know, because I clearly you just think, oh, I don't want to make an enemy of anybody. But but you don't you know, you don't know. I would never want to be that girl, that mean girl ever, ever, ever. But on the other hand, everything's up for piss take, including us. It's it's I think if someone, you know, on a show like that, if someone did me, I'd be I'd be absolutely thrilled. And then you'd you you'd I don't know, uh, maybe maybe it's just me, but then I'd wanna I'd wanna come and do it with them. Yeah, do you exactly. Know what I mean? That's I, the joy. The joy is to be taking the piss out of somebody and the door opens and there they are. And that was always our plan for Madonna. We'd be in the middle of a Madonna rant or something, and the door would open and there she'd be, and we'd have to shut up. Nothing we love better. Than being naughty schoolgirls caught out by big stars, you know, who are coming and going. What are you doing? What What do you think you're doing? <laughs> what is this? What is this? <laughs> the, is there when you when you find a character, is there like a a kind of root of it that you'll you'll focus on? Like the one that springs to to my mind straight away is the is the um, Jen doing the Marlena. Oh yes. Uh, which uh, I I think is for it's such a a short little clip and you sort of going oh and and setting her up because it's so spot on and it's just it's 
it's built on so many tiny little characteristics. I mean, she's very easy to to take yeah. the piss out of. Yeah. Um, but just those little kind of the, the half shut one eye, <laughs> yes. the mumbling. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the borderline Edith Piaf with the kind of shrugging. Yeah. Um, is, but is there like one one thing that you kind of build it on and then it gets more absurd? Well, you know, it it's so random. It's so random. When Jennifer and I are writing together, I mean, you know, we haven't done it for years now, but whenever we were, one of us would arrive in in the morning and go, wouldn't it be funny if, and it could be Jennifer saying it, it could be me saying it. I might, we might suggest Marlena because we happen to have seen that big special that she did. Wasn't it at the Palladium or somewhere like that? She did a big special. And so we might have seen it and think, oh, this is right. This is right. But how can we do it? Let's do it in our white room. And if we did anything in our white room, which was like our French and Saunders home, it would be done a bit like children are doing it. Children are in the dressing up box pretending to be somebody. Right, you push me on, right? I'll stick this broom up the back of you to make you stand up. All right, right, let, let's change the lighting so it looks great. You know, we, we definitely talk about how you pull it off. And we might be just having a bit of fun about one tiny Little thing, you know, one tiny little thing or enjoying the fact that you're revving up to, to the impression, if you like, um, and then you suddenly get it. So, you know, you have all the little jokes around it. Suddenly the lighting changes and bloody hell, Jennifer is Marlena. Just for a moment, she's brilliantly <laughs> good at it. But mostly it's about us kind of failing to, to get something right if it's an impression. Now, if it's a character... Like Marlene is a real person, so you can you've got things to look at. If you're inventing a character like, say, you know, God, years ago we came into work, and I can't remember which one of us suggested it. It's very equal. Um, I think Jennifer said, um, "Don't you hate those kind of guys who sit in the pub and uh, big fat guys who just sit in the pub." Um, and think that you're so lucky that they would wolf whistle at you. And they think you're so lucky that they would fancy you as you're walking past to go to the loo. And we started to talk about the kind of guys, and there were a couple of guys in a pub that we used to go to that were a bit like it. And then we start to think, right, how can we pull this off? We'll need prosthetics. We'll need padding. You know, we were in our 30s or 40s at the time. You know, to look like these guys, pulled you know took us a lot we just called them the fat men and as <laughs> is so often the case with with characters jennifer and i came up with she's fat man one i'm fat man two and we're basically two versions of the same thing we often did that but once we got into those characters then it took a while to put those prosthetics on and have the wig and the the padding and all the rest of it oh, the fun we had the fun we had sort of sexually molesting most of our crew because <laughs> once we're in the characters you know we're busy you know goosing everybody i probably wouldn't get away with it now even though we, we, we were dressed up but troublemakers we thought, yeah troublemakers and then it was jennifer it was genius one day when we were getting the makeup on which took a long time to put on and a long time to get off and hurt your skin it was kind of put on with medical adhesive those uh, prosthetics back in the day um and it really used to hurt your face but anyway jennifer said Minus the wigs on, before we put the wigs on, she said, these people look like the kind of posh women that live in um, in the countryside and, sh- and shoot everything that they see. Let's, <laughs> let's, instead of putting the wigs on, let's put some headscarves on, put some blue eyeshadow on and a bit of coral lipstick 
and let's make them that. So we managed to get two characters out of one makeup, if you like, out of one prosthetic. But it was genius of her to spot it. I didn't think about it. And the minute she started to talk about the kind of woman, I thought, yep, I know what you mean. The kind of woman who asks if they can be put on the compost when they're dead. You know, kind of no, no nonsense, <laughs> fuss and nonsense, silly, but but posh. Very different to the fat men. But this is, you know, fat lady number one and two. So that that that's you know what they were called. I mean, there's the 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 absurdity in these sort of these very normal people characters that could be grown into so much. So we we've been uh, rewatching Jam and Jerusalem. Oh God, uh, it was such as, good as, fun. Well, it's just it's it's one of the, it sort of highlights this this small sort of what should be a mundane small uh, village uh, that just has these utterly bizarre. Uh, I mean, my boyfriend Aaron's much more. He's you know watched it for years, and he's who uh, showed me it. And yesterday we were just watching Joanna Lumley do a, a ride a bike without a chain in it, yes. and then when inquired where I'm going to get a tomato, um, yes. like just and she had the tits. most. She had Jennifer gave her <laughs> these tits that were made out of bean bags that were just down round her waist. It was the most hilarious. It was a tiny cameo, but it was like absolutely hilarious. And there was broad humour in that, but there was also I thought it was some of Jen's best ever writing. There were beautiful moments because Jennifer's character had a son that was um, away. She was a, he was a soldier fighting, and you know in Afghanistan, and she was very worried about him. And, you know, so there were real tender moments and her character, my character, who had multiple personality disorder, um, you know, we had lovely little moments. I was her cleaner and, you know, there were just little, there were tendernesses in that series. And Sue Johnston was so brilliant in it. You know, there were there were wonderful moments. I was absolutely fuming when they only did two series and didn't continue it further. It was absolutely, I thought it was outrageous. I thought it was brilliant writing. And yeah, it's it, it's funny, but like you say, heartwarming as well, because particularly Rosie, your character, and Margaret. Yes, um, Margaret. Yeah, uh, the, the, right. the personalities. Uh, is that, you know, the, the, it's a very clowny character yeah. uh, to have, but also I think that gives it license to when there's sadness and heartbreak and, and something very real, it kind of hits <clears throat> harder because it's all like, oh, here she comes. Yes. Oh, it's going to yes. be very silly. And then when there's something actually... Uh, sad and yeah. uh, about it, it makes it hit all the more harder. I was I was watching a uh, the interview you did with uh, Julie Walters, and Julie kept saying about how <clears throat> comedians make for better actors, whereas straight actors don't necessarily make for good comedians. I would agree with that. I would agree with I that. Do, I, I mean, I think it's because comedians are not afraid to be kind of ridiculous or grotesque or go too far, whereas a straight actor maybe they what there's a, a level of composure. But what? Why do you think comedians make oh, for better? Oh, it's um, I, well, and I'm not sure I could say it as a generalisation because there are some actors that have got brilliant comedy chops, mm -hmm. and I don't think that when we're younger and we're training or when we're deciding that this will be our lives. Um, or we're by accident, which is kind of what happened to Jennifer and I, when you when you choose this life. You know, you don't map out your great big career with an, a, a clever arc of how it's going to go and what kind of work you're going to do. I don't think you do that. Maybe some particular straight actors have done that and only want to um, act in straight stuff. But it, it means that there are actors in this world, you know, David Tennant is probably one... Um, um, Michael Sheen is another one, you know, people who 
Julie Walters is certainly one who who can be straight actors at the drop of a hat and brilliant mm-hmm. and believable, authentic, engaging, real. Uh, but they have that 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 um, they have funny bones or they have comedy blood and they can turn it on when they want to and they also know the tone they can recognize when it has to be very big when it's a bit smaller when it's a bit smaller and you know julie had a wonderful relationship with victoria wood and that would be her comedy training right there but i do think that it's a bit like clowning that you have to be able you have to be able to do the clowning to be able to stop doing the clowning if you know what i mean not many people can do clowning without it looking just ridiculous um, or just not being funny. It's a, it's you, you really open yourself with physical comedy, slapsticky sort of stuff. You really lose people very quickly. Lots of people mm-hmm. don't, don't like it. Um, and, and they, they close off from you and your, any comedy um, contract you've got with them that they get, offer you some goodwill is out the window immediately if you suddenly don't make them laugh. So you make yourself fairly vulnerable with that. And I think that's what a lot of comedians do, is they've learned how to make themselves a bit vulnerable. So they're not afraid. Instinctual. Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 It, it can't It can't necessarily be taught. No, it can't. Yeah, I don't... I, I, well, and everyone's sort of... got different flavours of what they're good at. And that's why things like the Snatch Game are so revealing. Um, because people choose who they're going to be, and it might, they might choose who they're going to be because they know how to do the makeup. They might choose who, they, who to be because they've got two gestures that go with that character yeah. that they, that might win them that game. And that's not a bad instinct to do that. But if you have to improvise as that character, you better bring your game, and you better have some chops. And some people just don't have that, and that's fine. Some people are fashion. Some people are funny. You know, that's what it's all. It's all in the mix, isn't it? And it's watching someone pull out of their um, out of their backpack, if you like, of talent, <laughs> the, the different things that they can do. And it's always a, a bit of a surprise when you see when you see a comedian, someone like David Jason, for instance, back in the day or um, Bradley Walsh, I think, is a really good actor. Uh, but Bradley Walsh, you know, hosts a game show. He's a stand-up. He's a he's a song and dance guy. But occasionally, there he is in as Pa Larkin, or there he is in Doctor Who, or there he is in I don't know. Did he do Coronation Street? I think he did. Where you just think, oh yeah, there's Bradley Walsh being a real person, and I'm totally buying it. That to me is <laughs> you know tip top, or you know like the triple threat really. Definitely, yeah, I, I get I get that with the the League of Gentlemen uh, guys particularly. Agree uh, with because I mean, have you, you, I assume you've seen Inside Number Nine. I've seen Inside Number Nine. Now, I'm slightly yeah. jealous. Of it. I did Psychoville with them. I played a character in Psychoville, which was the series they did before Inside <laughs> you know, Number I Nine. I loved Psychoville, and it's just I haven't thought about it for ages. And just as you've said it, it's unlocked a core memory. Yeah, in me. Yeah. Um, Oh, can you remind me what your character well, I was like? Because every everyone I think is she was called Joyce oh. or something. And but yes, she was and a she midwife and she had a doll. doll that was made of blood. You know, it was like <laughs> really dark. And she um, was stealing all the blood from the hospital. She was, yeah, and she was just very angry. She was like psychotic, so she could be loving and <clears throat> midwifey, and then very quickly uh, lost it and was violent to people. Uh, verbally violent and physically violent and it was just perfect character for those guys is that, i mean is is 
is their writing sort of really delicious to work with? Because it, yes. it goes from, y- you can have the saddest moment and then just suddenly there's a huge laugh. Yes, and they, they are brilliant together, the two of them. They're very different, um, not just from each other, but from everyone else. I think there's no one, there is no one in our country that writes a kind of gothic darkness like those two. And they will go right to it. And they can be massively broadly funny but they're also creepily authentic. So, you know, they play these strange loners and odd bods and sons that haven't left home yet. And, you know, that they, they really capture it all. They've done it right from the beginning, haven't they? The League of Gentlemen That's was sort that. That's the mundane as well, isn't it? The, I mean, having a basing a character that hasn't, you know, left from home, but then giving them all of these... These layers, they had a, I sometimes think I've imagined it. Didn't they have a series based in Blackpool called like Pleasureland or something? And it was the inter, I'm sure, it, I'm, I'm, maybe it was Mark Gatiss. Are you? It was one of them. Okay, you might be mixing it up with a, there was something based in Blackpool that had music in it. Um, no, this wasn't. I remember. I think Mark Gatiss played a taxidermist that lived underneath like a sex shop. It was, and then I remember it starts with. Again, this all sounds like sort of peak them, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, it does. And it's. It, I think it was one of those series that never quite took off because it was very strange. I think I, I found one episode online, and you, it's. Do you know when you try to explain like something that happened to people and then they start looking at you like you've lost your mind and you start thinking you made it up? I am absolutely certain that one of the the four league of gentlemen you know the three plus the one that no one sees yes uh were involved in this i think it was called something like pleasure land yeah, it begins by right. a man in a gorilla suit climbing up the blackpool tower god it sounds um, amazing even if it is only in your head yeah maybe i should join them for some sort of some sort of collab um uh, i mean the their uh you were saying about the sort of depth of their writing the the season finale for the most recent one because I kind of sit down and go right time for a good old laugh and there really wasn't any in this last particular one I don't know if you've seen it but it I kind of it finished and I was sat there in silence like oh and again the the clowns can be the 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 most you know tragic and and, absolutely and and that collaboration's uh, of of I mean because it's obviously Reese uh, Reese Reese uh, and Steve that 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 do that. Um, is there like a dream collab that you would like to oh. do? Oh well, you know the thing I've always <laughs> wanted to do, but I think we've left it too late now. And I think and I don't know what it is, and maybe it's never meant to be. Maybe it's only supposed to be a dream thing that you kind of move forward in your life with it as your little beacon, but you're never supposed to actually arrive there. But this, what I would love to do is a short film or some kind of one-off film where Jennifer and I play the daughters of Maggie Smith and Judy Dench, with Jennifer being (laughs) Maggie Smith's daughter and me being Judy Dench's daughter, because weirdly, Judy Dench looks very much like my darling departed mum. Really, weirdly similar. She's a younger version, but she's got that sort of pretty little face that my mum had and uh, it slightly freaks me out you know when you see people that look a bit too much like people you know and love and especially since my mum's gone I'm slightly obsessed with Judy and I sort of have to hug her a bit when I see her too much I think we're all obsessed with Judy but I but I am especially and I know that it would work it would be true to play her daughter 
And it would be very funny to watch Jennifer playing Maggie Smith's daughter. And Judy and Maggie have a very strong friendship. And I just think, oh, I don't know what this is. Is it old mums who we have to look after? Is it warring, not sisters, but friends? What What is it? I don't know what it is, and I've never come up with it. So I've, I've never solved the puzzle. So I can't present a script to anybody. I mean, I I'm, I believe in this without any story, <laughs> just on the cast alone. Have you ever mentioned it to them? No, I've never mentioned it to them. I've mentioned it to Jennifer. And I've talked about it with the husband regularly. We often think, what about if it was this? What about if it was that? But I've never landed on something that makes me think, right, I now need to sit down and write that. I've got to, I must write it. Otherwise, I've, I've never forgive myself. I've never quite come up with it. Or I keep thinking maybe there's a book. Maybe there's a book, a classic book even. Maybe there's something that's already written that the four of us should do. Um, but, you know, we're all getting older and, you know, the moment will come when it's not possible. Or the moment will come when it happens. Or the moment will come when it happens. Good for you <laughs> to think, think like that optimistically. Ah, that glass is half full. <laughs> um, I mean, you've done, you were like something that you, you thought about. You've done so many, like, you know, doing your research before this, it's it just, the list went on and on. Yes, there was I'm just sorry. So, <laughs> no, no, never apologize for being brilliant. Um, you've done, so you've, you, you've narrated audiobooks, you've, written books you've you know sort of serious acting and, and stage and panto and 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 series and comedy sketch and it just it goes on and on and on is there like a particular thing that you love more than anything else no i what i like is you know mixing it up because what i what i can't cope with is if something isn't a challenge anymore that's what i can't cope with if mm-hmm. i just think oh that'll be easy or i know how to do that I mean, you've got to have a certain amount of confidence about something, haven't you, to, to get started with it. You've got to think you might be able to pull it off. But if I think, oh, yeah, I know how to write a book, uh, then I, there's no point in doing it. And I don't know how to write a book. So uh, I'm going to give myself that challenge. And I've written four novels now. And each one has been more difficult than the last because I've got to prove myself a bit. The first one, at least, I just had to see if I could write a story. It's different to writing an autobiography, which is your own story, you know, to write a story with a narrative, with characters that you expect people to stick with for, for however many hours it takes to read a novel. Um, you know, that that's quite demanding. And also I, I was aware that people might buy it because it's me, uh, but then I want them to buy the second book because they like the writing. So suddenly mm-hmm. you're you're very revealed and, you know, you need to take a bit of advice from editors who know what they're talking about. And I'm also in that class of writers that is regarded as popular fiction, as if popular fiction isn't um, all that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's very interesting. It's quite snobby the publishing world. I've I've, I've not heard that. Term. Does it mean it's it's fiction written by popular people? Um, no, it means that it is bought. People buy it plenty of it so it's popular with people now it could mean that you are popular therefore that the the book Mm. becomes popular but I think it just means that you're one of those people that um supermarkets might sell your your novels and they sell well on Amazon as if that's uh, a bad thing well it's it means someone's reading a book yeah absolutely but it's odd isn't it there's me and plenty of other people in this genre that are slightly looked down on from the from the publishing people. You don't get put up for prizes. You don't get. You're not literary, you know, in the way that 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 um, 
posher, less popular writers might be, or, or more experienced writers, it might be that. And I'm still trying to get my head around. This is a world I don't know. I don't know all mm. the manners and the rituals of the publishing world. I'm getting to know it as I go along. As as an outsider, that, that, that sort of surprises me because, again, it gets books in people's hands. But also that that's sort of a circular uh, economy where... If that's selling lots of books, that's making money for a publisher. Then that publisher can sure. then give money to someone that isn't necessarily going to sell as many books. Absolutely. And the more, the, the, the the po- more money the they have, the more writers, chances. Yeah. The popular writers are supporting lots of other new writers and all kinds of things. But it's slightly frowned on. And it's very odd. It's it, it's very odd situation because part of me is, yeah, go, yeah, good. I'm popular. Good. I certainly want people to read it. I'm not writing this for... to to have three people read it. I want, you know, 300,000 people to read it. Um, but, I, but I'm but i aware of these categories. And you're put into a category before you even knew you were in a category. And it's <laughs> odd, isn't it? There's something a rebel in me that just goes, oh, hang on, I'm not in this category. Don't put me there. I don't like that. I mean, very quickly, I had to fight against the kind of covers for my books uh, that were suggested to me, only gently suggested because I'm really, really good publishing people. But, you know, they'd love you to have cupcakes and um, sort of kitten heels and somebody on a swing and, uh, <laughs> you know, little foil things and girly, you know, kind of approachable, female, cosy, cardigan, you know, kind of all of that. And so, well, that's not what the writing is. So why would I do that? And that's not who I am. Please don't represent me like that. So I fought and fought and fought to have, you know, Mm -hmm. very plain covers with one little image and red and black writing, a bit kind of textbooky. And, you know, it's an effort to say, take me seriously. Some of this book will be funny, but take me seriously. I've I've taken it seriously. I've taken a year to write it. I've cared about it. So take this writing seriously. Yeah, and I mean, that's also one of the benefits of of, of being sort of a, a large popular public figure uh, is that I guess you can do those things. And again, that can set a precedent for them to maybe think about next time with someone when they're like, oh, why don't you use a cosy cardigan? Maybe, you know, in a small way, that person that you've said, no, that's, you know, I think the book deserves this, this and this. And maybe that will be in their heads for the next Yeah, absolutely. And we're all learning together as long as everyone trusts everyone else. Because I have to trust that they know that world better than I do. Because I never understand quite how they advertise it. I was all for having TV adverts to tell people that I had a book out. And they're going, well, it's very hard to make a TV advert about a book. Um, because a book is so you know written and so internal. And so I said, yeah, but I can, I can hold my book up and explain what it is in a way that it fits the book. But of course, buying TV advertising is very expensive. And publishers aren't, don't do that. Well, we've got Instagram now. I've that's, got that's, Instagram now, yeah. You, you, yeah. you like Instagram very well, much, I'm very, don't you? I'm very new to it. I've only been on Instagram for, I think, about a year. I, I've done Twitter for longer than Instagram. Jennifer mm-hmm. was the one who said to me, come on. She she has dragged me on the tails of all the technological world since the beginning. <laughs> I didn't have a mobile forever, and it was only when we went on tour and we did, couldn't get any, there was never a, a phone in the dressing room when I needed to call my little tiny daughter to say good night, you know, and I'd be using her phone and she said that you need to get your own phone. I said, but I don't know, I don't want it. You're don't running like up it. my phone bill, Dawn. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> but I just do everything late. I come to everything late. Listen, I've only just arrived at leggings. 
Oh, goodness. And how do you feel now that you're there? Oh, they're appalling. But they're comfortable. <laughs> but they're comfortable. Um, but I, I was going to say, just you were talking about sort of as, as a popular person. Do you... Often when people talk, they're like, British comedy legend, Dawn French, icon, Dawn French. How does that feel to constantly be basically everyone? I mean, obviously it must feel lovely. Well, yeah, there's there's an element of it that is that. But it's also very far removed from my real actual life. I come from a proper family, very grounded kind of no nonsense nobody was an actor in my family um you know my brother finds it all vaguely preposterous all of it uh (laughs) but you know but enjoys it at the same time and wishes me well with it all I mean I think when he comes to see me performing he honestly could eat the seat with his bum hole with with embarrassment about the fact (laughs) that what I do on stage is kind of what we did as kids you know mucking about in our home to make our parents laugh and, but he's shyer and he wouldn't dream of standing up on stage and showing off. Um, but I do I do it. And I mean, we're British, aren't we? So you're not supposed to show off. And yet, on the other hand, we're eccentric. So, you know, it's a weird relationship you have. And I also, I'm also aware that, um, you know, fame's a funny old fucker, isn't it? It's just like, if you start to buy, if you start to buy it yourself, you're doomed I think it's it's good to recognize it it's lovely to have you know some of the little treats that go with it but the minute you start to think you're just that bit shinier or just that bit more important or that you've got a right to something over somebody else you're fucked you know it is it is it's a it's the kool-aid it really is that is the most British thing I've ever heard like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you know what it's great but you know remember and I, I think as again i think that's why a lot of british comedians uh have the sensibility they do because we're just like you like you said at the very beginning we're all massive twats we are really we are. and that's what's great <laughs> i love that if you've made a bigger mistake than me i'm going to laugh so heartily i'm going to feel for your embarrassment when you made that mistake and i'm going to love you more that that's that's how I feel about it. I'm, I cannot I cannot entirely love perfect people. I cannot understand why people only want to show us. It makes me sad, actually. It makes me sad, especially because they're young liars. People. They're liars. Oh, God, no you one's know, having a perfect life. I know, and I feel for my own daughter and my and Jennifer's daughters and all the daughters who are feeling like they've got to have the big lips and they've got to be orange and they've got to have lashes on all the time and they've got to be. You know, they've got to have Kardashian shapes and impossible stuff, you know, whereas their their flawed, real beauty is just heavenly. It's bliss. It's bliss. And I'd love us to kind of creep back to that. After all the fights women have had to be, you know, to be anywhere near equal, we've kind of gone and buggered it all up at the last minute by becoming Jessica Rabbit's. I mean, and it, it's fine to to do that when you're when you're performing. That is great. I've, I'm all for the peacocking, the look, the anything of any man, woman, whoever. But I like a real crunchy wanker. <laughs> and yeah, and I and I think they make for the best friends. Agree, agree. The best friends. And it's people who love your faults and forgive you them and forgive all your any insensitivities or mistakes you make. And we all do make mistakes. I mean, when I've when I've sat down to think, write these stories in a funny way, I feel a bit 
I feel a bit fraudulent going on tour with these stories because they're a little bit like me just being really honest about some silly stuff. I feel like I've not worked that hard at, at telling these stories because they're just true. Well, you've done the hard work of of, of processing uh, being a massive twat in these situations <laughs> because you know the the show the show hasn't happened yet, and I don't know how much you want to say, but I'm assuming there's some situations there that some people would would just fall down dead from being mortified, right? Yes, mortified. Uh, am, am I right in assuming? Yes, is, mortified. Uh, is it like, like I'm not trying to get you to to give anything away, but I'm you know situations where you're maybe like okay got to keep my cool and then something goes terribly terribly yes, wrong and you're terribly just... wrong or you start a little tiny lie you know you might say <laughs> oh i don't know you know i was asked on a harry potter film that i did i was uh, i was asked by the director you're cool with working with animals yeah and i was like yeah i love it. I'm, I'm thinking yeah but i've got a dog you know i'm, I'm i love animals uh, but then I sort of over pretended that I was fine with it. And I ended up having to work with the hippopotamus. And that is the story that I tell on stage <laughs> about when you are confronted with the hippopotamus. <laughs> what happens they're to not, you? They're not friendly creatures, are they? No, they're not. They're quite large. <laughs> yeah, How they, close they were you, you to the hippopotamus? They can kill you. It, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say any more than that. I was very close. I had to hide behind it in order to do the scene that I did. Why couldn't they do this with CGI? <laughs> Why couldn't they? There was an element of CGI. The CGI around everything, but they wanted a real animal. But, you know, I've also done that thing where we've all done it. I have responded to people on email where I think I'm sending the email to somebody about that person. And I've been absolutely <laughs> vicious or rude for comedy purposes and then found that I've sent it to the actual person. You know, I if on, on Instagram, I, d- I mean, you're, you're new to Instagram. Have you made the mistake here of someone sending you something someone's posted on Instagram and then you replied to it, but you realise you've replied to the original post and not the person Yeah, oh, God, it. yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, oh it's just you, you can – I've learnt my lesson when it comes to Twitter, you know, because I'm not – Jennifer said to me, oh, it's such an evil platform. You you know, people troll you and whatever. And I, don't, I haven't had much of that. Little bits. If I'm ever political, you get, a, you know, a few come out of the woodwork. But there's the mute button, and it's such a delight. Yep. Oh, it's delicious because nobody knows nobody you've done knows it. Nobody knows you've done it. You're just going, quiet, 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 quiet. Shut I up, do it all the time. Up, shut up. My block list is very small, but my mute list yes, is Yes, well, I, I worked out that the block list, people get angry. Or they set up another account and have another go at you. And anyway, a lot of them are made-up accounts. They're just bollocks, really. But uh, I don't get trolled too much on Twitter. But what I did realise, if I have an opinion about something and people start coming at you, it was my temptation at the beginning to answer that. To explain no, myself, whatever. No, never answer. I don't, I don't, because then what happens is a battle royal happens amongst your followers. So your followers go into battle with the trolls on your behalf. And you sit there on your little horse and you watch the battle take place on the field in front of you. <laughs> and people are totally destroyed by like, your followers. Like, like a selfish <laughs> king, you're sat there with your banquet going, <laughs> fight amongst thyself. It is fantastic. With places like Twitter, you kind of get back what you put out. And I, I, I've been quite lucky. Other than, you know, the, the direct drag race response because it's reality TV and people are absolutely batshit. Um, uh, I, I, I tend to be quite 
positive yes. on Twitter. Yes. I don't get into arguments, so I don't really have a problem. And then there are other people that are from the same season as me that have constant issues. And I say, it's because you've replied to people. Because yeah. then as soon as people realise that how they get a response yeah. is by being a dickhead. It, well, that's right. But, you know, this is one of the things that nobody explains to you that comes with fame or notoriety of any sort is that, and, you know, over the years I have certainly experienced this, certainly at the hands of the Daily Mail and others, but mainly them, is that they come at you with stories that are not really true. They might have a little seed of truth or there was something someone said, but it gets blown out of proportion. And they're talking about your real life, your real family, whatever, and it feels like bullying. So it mm-hmm. feels but like it you're is. being bullied. You, It is bullying. But you, unlike with a bully where you are supposed to stand up for yourself, this is the occasion when to zip it is the dignified thing. But it means that the it, the misinformation remains in the ether about you in the public domain and is assumed to be the truth because you haven't, uh, you haven't um, uh, uh, come out against it. You haven't put your argument. But you would spend your whole life putting your arguments and it's not mm-hmm. worth it. It's not worth it. Yes, what you have to accept is you're going to be misrepresented. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be misquoted. And people are going to imagine certain things about your life. But also, those people, literally after they've read it, they hardly ever think about it ever again. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, you'd, if they were like, Dawn French is a serial killer. Yeah. You'd maybe go, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's like funny that. that when it's about me, I, I'm big enough and and old enough now to think, oh, get lost. It doesn't well, leave it. But when it's about your family, um, you know, when mm. they talked about my dad, um, there was a woman who wrote a book about me, had completely the wrong story, and even quoted in this book that my parents had split up or something, which they never did. And my mother was so mortally hurt by this. So uh, you know, to protect your darlings against people who are being careless and insensitive and stuff. That's very difficult because really, you know, I sat down with a lawyer with my mum and said, you know, what do we do about this? There are many, many inaccuracies in this book and some of them are about my mum and she's so upset. And the lawyer said, well, look, we can go to court about this, but you can only go to court about one thing at a time. It will cost a lot of money and everybody will be very interested in this story, much more interested than they are right now. Yeah, as we as we've seen in a recent uh, bit of a circus yeah. of, 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 a, of a of a law case, yeah, I guess letting it go was easier because then you don't you're not then drawing any attention to it. You know, That's if right. it's a book about you that you're not posting about that you're not telling people about, then it doesn't mean anything. No, that's right. But then you see, when want... that book first came out, which was when I was a lot younger, a, a very misrepresented, badly written book about me. It was the only book about me that was available. So fans would buy that book and bring it to me to sign. And yet it was full of lies and inaccuracies about my life and about my family. So I started to give the fan who would bring me the book at the end of the show to sign. They spent 20 quid on the book. I give the fan 20 quid and take the book and give them a signed photo. And eventually Jennifer started saying to me, you're spending all your earnings, Dawn. You've got (laughs) to stop this. Oh, and terrible. then do people start learning then they're like right if i get the book it means i'll get the print for free <laughs> because she'll give me the money back for the book and then well in the end what photo. i did was write my own book that was the answer but i hadn't intended to write that book i wrote that book to come out as 
to give to give people something that was, in my opinion, at least the truth and better written, you know. Yeah, and on the you were saying about defending uh, family or you know friends and things. Someone and again with the subject of Twitter, sort of bringing those together. Uh, you have worked with this particular gentleman, and there's a certain time of the day that is my favourite on Twitter, which is Neil Gaiman responds to people being mean about cast members' day. Um, <laughs> yes, which is maybe a couple of hours a day. Where so <clears throat> at this point in time, the the Sandman has been. Uh, announced at Neil Gaiman uh, graphic novel and Neil Gaiman as the writer of this tends to you know we say don't reply to trolls and things but if people are unkind about a casting or uh, you know maybe a gender swap or or something Neil Gaiman as the writer comes in and goes well (laughs) I wrote this and actually she's perfect yes Um, he's very and you've you did you I mean, because you read the audiobook of Coraline. I did. Um, I did. And he's and a great friend. He, I met Neil through Lenny. Uh, they were friends. And in <laughs> fact, they together wrote Neverwhere, uh, which has had various lives, uh, lives. It had a radio life. And then I think it's had a TV life. And I think Len's just done something with Neil just recently as well. And Nancy um, Boys. Yeah, yeah, Nancy Boys. That's right. So uh, Neil was in our lives as a great friend for a long time. And then he asked me to do uh, Coraline. Jennifer and I did a couple of characters in Coraline. And then I also read, um, read the audio book. Um, and that was a great honor for me and a great pleasure. And, it, and I suddenly realized the world of Neil Gaiman and how huge it is and who the fans are and how completely obsessed they are with, with it. It's a bit like being involved with JK Rowling's world. You know, you suddenly are in a huge world that has all its own rules and stuff. So, you know, it's it's weird. But I know Neil as a friend and we are in touch and I love him very much. Yeah, and it's like you said, the, the world is so massive and, and Coraline, he's what, like we were saying with the, um, with other writers writing these sort of gothic spectacular things, his, his, his writing is, yeah, there's just, there's some very, very adult things as Sandman is about to be. And Coraline is obviously more more suited to children, even though the f- the film itself is quite frightening. Yeah. Uh, whenever I rewatch it, I I'm always forget that it's it's got kind of a bleak French art film vibe. Definitely about it. Well, what he uh, manages to do is to write, um, you know, a horror story for children that is their worst nightmare: being having an other mother that you know he's got the buttons for the eyes who's horrible to you but pretends to be nice where is your real mother and you know these are children's worst fears but mm. they're also adults worst fears to lose your children and to have have misunderstood or overlooked their fears and be absent somehow in their lives he manages to you know fill both of the fulfill both of those awful dreads which is why he he writes on many 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 levels he's such a genius and yet he's a very casual man, but he's very inspiring. But he's a, he is a wanker. He is a massive wanker as well. Uh, yeah, but in, in the best possible the way. The best possible way. He's, I like, he's I like in that. the gang. So, he's in the wanker uh, When When this episode gets announced, it's going to be Dawn French called Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I know. Wanker. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> and I will get such terrible trouble from all the Neil Gaiman <laughs> lovers. But Neil will be the first to put his hand up. And say, you know, flawed as anything, makes mistakes. We all do. We all do. How the and hell that, are you going to learn anything in life if you don't make mistakes? 
Well, that's what makes for beautiful people, beautiful artists, and just generally beautiful human agree, beings. Agree, agree. I think agree. if if there's one takeaway from this is that we should all revel in being an absolute wanker. <laughs> I'm a twat. You're a twat. And uh, and um, on we go with with our twattery into the future. Um, I'm just looking at the time, and I've 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 had you for the allotted time, so I'm going right, to ask one right. last one last thing. All right, and I, um, need to I would tell like you one more thing. Okay, so wait, do you want? Okay, I'll ask you something. Yeah. So again, all that you said about you know you'd love to do the 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 Maggie Smith and uh, um, Judy oh, Dench. Judy Dench. I was like Judy, Judy, Judy. Which one? <laughs> uh, um, is is there is there something that that kind of could happen that you're like, oh, I'd really like to do that. Like, like something that does exist, not not something that you will bring into the world, like a role or <clears throat> an adaption or is something that maybe is is yet to be adapted. And you think if they ever make that, I want to be that. Oh God, is there? I'm not exactly hankering after anything in particular. There are people that I would like to work with. Neil is one. And I'd like to do something physical, like act in something that he's written. Um, he's he's a recurring person. I think, oh, I'd love to do something with him one day. I think it's, and Ken, working with Ken was was another, that was a tick. Um, do you work with Tim Burton? I never worked with Tim Burton. I'd love to work with Tim Burton. Yeah, I'd love to. But there are people, you know, they have their gangs, don't they? And the people that they rely on. Mm. And I understand that. We do too. Mm. I don't think I've got one of those things hanging over me. God. I need to get one. I need to get an aspiration. They they are good. They are I mean, I I mean when you've done so many bloody things, you know, no, it's it's I think that aspiration will appear and you'll suddenly go, Oh no, that was the Yeah, that's it. I'll think about it. I'll I'll think of something the minute we finish here, of course. I mean, I did achieve one of the things that I really wanted to do the most in the world was to work with Fred Molina. Um, do you know Alfred Molina? Do you know this actor? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I from, adore him. I know him from Spider-Man and uh, and Feud. That's as well. right. That's right. <clears> and he him. was um, he was in the John Lard, the, the film about um, oh come on the the, the writer the, the, who was murdered by his lover Kenneth Halliwell Joe Orton. You know he was the uh, the lover in that film. Anyway, he's a brilliant, brilliant actor, but he li- lives in America and. Uh, a few years back, quite a lot of years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, two brilliant twin sisters that I know called the Kilcoyne twins, uh, Beth and Emma Kilcoyne, wrote the most wonderful series called Roger and Val Have Just Got In. And it was, we did two series of it. And it's some of my most favourite work I've ever done. And hardly anyone's seen it because it was on BBC Two and it was a bit kind of niche but it's so beautifully written about this couple. Um, and what, what, what transpires, what you find out is that they, they lost a child many, many years ago. And they're just trying to get by, but they love each other. And it, they live in this house and literally the show starts, each episode starts when one person opens the door and goes, Val, I'm home, or Roger, I'm home. And in real time, there's half an hour of this couple then when somebody's just got home from work. So it's all the putting your stuff down, putting the kettle on, catching up on what's happened during the day. But you enter the world of these two people and they're trying to get through life. And it's the most beautiful, beautifully written 
um, comedy about about little tiny things and big, big things. And the big thing is the love that they have. But all the minutiae of how they manage to get by and what annoys each other about each other. It's so beautifully realised. So I did get to work with Fred Molina and that was a big, um, that was something that I wanted to achieve and I managed it. And you got to do it. And like you said, oh, not many people saw it, but that, you know, just because the 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 numbers yeah don't, there, I don't care about that it, it's this beautiful piece of, I don't and care again about like that. it's you got to work do you with know it's luck in life loads of people see Vicar of Dibley loads of people see French and Saunders <laughs> loads of people see Abfab then we do lots of other things that not so many mm-hmm. see but it doesn't and matter equally they as can be the most delicious and, yeah, and again like the is there anything in particular you are sorry another question is it one thing that you are most proud of that you've put into the world I suppose, I suppose the absolute sublime best fun I've ever had is with Jennifer. You know, I, m- my clear moments of just pissing my gusset has been <laughs> with that woman. You know, I, I, I have such happy memories of everything with her. However, doing Vicar was, again, different, you know, wonderful for different reasons, made another family of people, different setup, different... Um, aims, different achievements altogether, and then I tell you about you know Roger and Val. And anyway, I can't. I, I, no, I can't really answer that except for that I adore Jennifer. I love the bones of her. So, so really, anything I do with her, I'm very happy with. We do a podcast together, which I love doing. You know, just because I get to be in a room with her and she's my darling. Well, I feel like this 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 should have been two or three episodes. <laughs> really, just you've got so many amazing, wonderful stories. There was something Good. you wanted to ask me. Yes, well, I want well. you to know that of all the people that do drag, you are the person who I would most like to have my makeup done by. I would love <laughs> you to give me a bit of a Joe Blackover. <laughs> oh, I would. Oh, one do you know day, what? One it, day we should find the time just to have a gin. Well. And you're do doing that. the Palladium Panto, aren't you? I am. I am. Yeah, but I'm and playing a goodie in that, and it's quite. Uh, oh, sort of I was. A... I was assumed you were going to be the villain. No, I was the villain last time, and I'm, I'm so excited about doing it because, of course, it's been put off for two years. And I, I, you know, I resisted Panto for a long time, as asked pretty much every year, and I kept thinking, oh, I don't know if they're funny enough, and they're not this, and they're not that. Then I saw the Palladium Panto, saw Julian, saw Gary Wilmot being brilliant, you know, and just thought, oh, this is amazing. And they, Which year did you see? Uh, I saw one with Paul O'Grady the year b- before. Cinderella. I yes. Oh, fabulous. And I just thought, well, oh, look this- at this. Look at the dancers. Look at the orchestra. I love this. So, you know, if you're going to do a panto, that is the one. So I agreed to yeah, do Snow White. And uh, I just had the best time. I was absolutely knackered, dead. I mean, I would weep. I would get up and weep about how, how tired I was. But because I, I wasn't prepared for it, I didn't know what it was like to do that. Um, but I know now. And so, I, you know, and I agreed to do this second one, Jack and the Beanstalk, which I'm doing this year. But, of course, it's been put off for two years in a row. So we're back and we're able to do it. And I can't wait. Yeah. You're well rested for the run this yeah, time. Yeah, I am. But a, a, a bit of a full circle. So the, the episode of Drag Race, I might be wrong. Uh, the episode of Drag Race you were on was the one where they did the panto runway, wasn't it? No, no. no. The one no. I was on, oh. they did comedy. They did stand-up, of course. So Ah, so what I was going to say is that the panto look I had planned was based on Paul O'Grady in that particular oh, I see. Uh, production of Cinderella. I remember seeing a poster of it and I was like, that looks, Paul O'Grady looks like they could be my mother <laughs> in it. Like, not my actual mum who looks like John Lithgow, but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> she does. Um, uh, but I remember looking at it going, hmm, this will stay in my mind. It will come in useful at yeah. some point. And then the thing came through and it said panto. And I was like, Paul O'Grady. Yes, absolutely. Here we come. But your painting um, is is just exquisite. I love it. Oh, thank you. Love it, love it, love it. And I, and I um, you know, one day, one day I'd like you to give me the, the pleasure of it. I would so love just to for do fun that. just for fun when you when you're in london you'll be there for for the for the whole time won't you i will but you get one day off every seven days and you're dead <clears throat> well maybe you know we need to find a time not when on I'm your alive. day off we'll find we'll find when you're you're when you're alive and kicking and we'll have many gins and we i will. shall draw and your eyebrows up to lovely. here lovely Right. Thank you so much. Thank and you I'm going to, I'll say my goodbyes and then I'll do a little secret goodbye after the recording. All right. All so right. I'm finishing well, the I'll recording. Thank you now. so much, Dawn I French. Love you. Thank you for having me. Bye, darling. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Um, what a thrill that was to record. I was so nervous. This was only the third one. It is episode three, but it was the third one I recorded. Um, and quite a lot of pressure. Uh, but I I absolutely loved it. And I was... I, I'm still on a high from it, to be honest with you all. Um, I hope you loved it. Um, it was nothing but a pleasure to record. And then we are returning next week with another guest. So again, please, uh, to support me in... in, in Anywhere you'd like, uh, you can buy shirts, just repost things, leave nice reviews, or come see me on tour with Club Cataclysm across the UK and Ireland in October and November 2022. Okay, darling, see you next week, and uh, a massive thank you again to the glorious Dawn French. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.